Hello, I'm Philip. And I'm Phoebe. Welcome to Dad. And Daughter, Do You Death. Hi, Phoebe. How are Hi. you? Hi, Dad. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, yeah. It's warm today. So hot, isn't it? So... <laughs> I enjoyed like one day of summer at the weekend and then I'm kind of done with it now. It's, <laughs> it's too much. When you're stuck indoors all day having to work, yeah, it's not much fun. No, we've got a very, yeah. very hot big black dog who's a bit upset with himself because he's so hot. <laughs> oh, bless him. Yeah. Yeah, every day this week I've walked down to our lake, which is quite a nice thing to be able to do in, you know, lunchtime. Nice. And, uh, yeah, following following on from the coot chicks that we had um, beginning of May, we've now got cygnets. Very it's exciting. Family, so yeah, it's really, um, really fun, and it's really very relaxing just to go and watch them. them. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh. so that's that's nice. That's nice. It is nice. Yeah, I had a walk on my lunch today to go and buy some brownies, so that was also nice. <laughs> very nice. Yeah. <laughs> no, not as relaxing <laughs> as uh, baby swans, but the brownies are great. So, I hope you enjoyed them. <laughs> they were great. It was really good. <laughs> Any news from the world of true crime this week, Phoebe? There's quite a bit of news this week, I think, actually, Dad. Um, so Colin Pitchfork, they've said that he can be released from prison um, after he murdered two 15-year-olds in the 80s, I think it was. Uh, yeah. He was he was jailed for life in 1988, um, and they said that he's suitable for release. So I don't know if he's actually been released yet. But he's um, been on still... a number of day releases, I think. He's yeah. been uh, and he's been in an open prison, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. So he's been out and about, but having to go back to prison. The notable thing about the Colin Pitchfork murder conviction was that it was the first time that anyone had been convicted on the basis of. DNA evidence. That's the first time in the world. So uh, that's pretty incredible, really. Isn't yeah, it? it is. It's, it's still well to me the mid eighties. <laughs> it doesn't seem that long ago. Thirty three years ago. Since <laughs> um, eighty eight. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, thirty three years ago, which means it's still relatively new technology, isn't it? Yeah, 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 definitely. And I think that. The thing with it is he was given a life sentence, but as we've discussed several times on this podcast around what does actually life mean? Yeah. And he was given, was it life for 30 years? And he served years, that. Yeah. So... Yeah, and 30 years and two or three more since, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the way our prison system works, isn't it? People get given a sentence, they serve it. And then if yeah. they serve it, then they can be released. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's a, it's a, Awful one, though. Awful case. But interesting to see how that plays out, I guess. Yes. Um, there's been some development in the Sarah Everard case. In oh, yeah. The, the, the policeman who was arrested has pled guilty to kidnap and rape. I think it is, but not murder. So mm. we'll see. I'm sure we'll find out more about that as, um, as time goes on. But that's quite momentous. And... Today, which is the 9th of June, marks a year since Chad Daybell was first arrested 
and when they okay. kind of first started digging up his house and today was his arraignment and he pled not guilty to every single charge it literally i think it finished like half an hour ago an hour ago maybe so this is top br- brand new news <laughs> Um, yeah. Well, we knew it was going to be not guilty. Breaking here. Bra- breaking news. <laughs> well, by the time it'll be old be news. Old news. <laughs> um, but you know, he pled uh, not guilty. Obviously, Tylee and JJ's family's not very happy with that, but not surprised. Um, and I was used to reading into the kind of Laurie, Daybell, Ballow, whatever his name is, situation. And so she's on like a psychiatric hold for like 90 days, apparently, basically to try and rehabilitate her. And then she'll stand trial again, or then they'll relook at her case in 90 days, basically. So they've said that she's not got a kind of psychiatric illness or she's not severely psychiatric and well. Right. So it's just kind of, she's had like a, a mental health rest. And then okay. they'll reevaluate it and they'll do it again after 90 days. And if they decide that she's not fit, then. So it's not over for her yet. I think it's just kind of paused for a little bit while they try and, they basically said basically she, she couldn't stand trial at the moment. So right. she couldn't. She couldn't okay. play on something either way. So we'll see what happens there. But the fact that it's not just a cut and dry, no, she's not going to stand trial. Yeah. No, a little bit of hope. It's, it's too high profile to sweep that one under the carpet. Really, oh, God, yeah, it? definitely. Especially the fact that um, they might both be eligible for the death penalty. So that's a pretty huge case. sentence. <laughs> yeah, pretty huge case. Uh, yeah. So yeah. there was just something else in the news that caught my I just a couple of days ago, it's not really well, it's not a murder, but it's it's sad that um police in Norway discovered the body of a fifteen month old boy. Oh god. Who was lost at sea along with his family when they were trying to make the crossing from France across the English Channel. I saw to sort that. of the Dover area. And it was last last august i think it was august or september and quite a few of the people including his most of his family died in the when the boat capsized whatever but for his body to have traveled all the way from sort of the straits of dover yeah <laughs> right the way up to the norwegian coast is, is phenomenal so it was isn't it? 900 miles that he travelled, I think it said when I read that. Yeah. How was he still intact when he? How was there still anything left of him when they got well, him there to to identify yeah. him? I guess there couldn't be much. But they were still able to identify him, so there must have been. I think that was DNA. That was going back to DNA evidence again. Right. I think I've, okay. I read somewhere that they. Uh, okay. They used DNA evidence. But, that's uh, a very long way for a body to travel, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. It's an indication, though, isn't it, of how far bodies can travel when they're. Yeah. In the water in the sea absolutely yeah so how many uh how many murders have never been detected even well because a body's been washed out to sea never to yeah. be seen again i've been listening to some morbid today they were talking about this lake in it's in georgia i think it's a man-made lake and they kind of built it not that long ago and there's been nearly 700 deaths that they can count in that lake in the time that it's been there and like loads wow. of really creepy stuff happens there, like really, and they've got these massive catfish that are like the size of cars, and really creepy stuff going on there. It's really interesting. Would recommend listening to it actually. Okay. Um, but yeah, the, they're talking about these bodies just disappearing, and people saying that they they feel like they were being pulled under the water, or like there was they felt like there was like people like grabbing at them to like pull them under the water and stuff like that. And 
something to do with burial grounds and things like that. So not sure what's going on there, but it's all very spooky. <laughs> like a, a man-made lake that might have flooded a, an old community. Yeah. Where there could have been graves at the yeah. bottom. Ooh. Yeah. I think that's what it was. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, very creepy and mysterious things happening there. And yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a lake in the Lake District uh, called Hawes oh, yeah. which is... There was two separate lakes that had a little village in between, and then they uh, they dammed the end of the valley, and it all flooded and everything. But and it was only done in like the nineteen thirties or so. And when the level of the lake is low, you can see sort of the outlines of That's buildings. A bit and, uh, but I I know that because reading about it, they they moved all the bodies out of the graveyard and put them into a graveyard of the next nearest town. I think there was something to do with they should have done that. That's what they were supposed to have done, but they didn't <laughs> they weren't very thorough with how they did it so yeah or whether mm. it was some sort of ancient burial grounds and as yeah <laughs> I, I was, this meme came up on time hop that i saw last that i saw last year actually that came up again today and it was saying like no wonder like so much goes on in america is literally built on a native american burial ground <laughs> it's like it's so true <laughs> the whole of america is built on a native yeah. american burial ground <laughs> don't mess with them folks no. <laughs> but yeah it was good it was creepy it reminded me a lot of supernatural and the sort of stories that you okay. get supernatural about like disasters that happened and the ghosts that are like come back afterwards and it made yeah. me feel like i just want to go and binge some I'll supernatural and there was another one podcast. um so they did like a series on like haunted bodies of water basically and um there was another about this swamp in uh louisiana that was really good as well like similar sort of okay. thing but yeah so would recommend those uh watery morbid tales <laughs> right then what have you got for me <laughs> so um before we get started on the story just a bit of a psa i wouldn't recommend listening to this if you're currently eating and probably best if there's no little ears around those of you who might be listening to this maybe around children i hadn't heard of this guy and now I know more about him. I'm genuinely surprised I've never heard of him. And I'm hoping you haven't either. Um, it was actually brought to my attention by um, someone I follow, and he also follows us on uh, the gram, on Instagram, um, Coffee Cats and Crime, who has a great page where she kind of shares stories and stuff. And I saw this story and I thought, that's absolutely ridiculous. I need to look into this. This will be a really good one. So um, tonight I'm going to be telling you about Carl Denker. Have you heard of Carl Denker? Don't think so. Okay. No. I was I hadn't. Um so let's get going. So it's quite yeah. an old one. So Carl okay. was born on February the eleventh, eighteen sixty. Oh, it in, is quite old then. Yeah, in Oberkunzendorf in Munsterberg, Silesia, which was in Prussia, but it is now Kalinowice in Poland so it's that kind of I think is it the top bit of Russia I think that um of Russia the top bit of Germany that turned into Poland I think is kind of oh uh, right okay it. it's part of Germany that was part of the kind of Prussian empire empire that turned into Poland basically not a huge amount is known about Karl's childhood we do know that his parents were middle-class farmers and that he was one of three children. His dad is said to have been a bit pedantic, but there was, there's no real kind of evidence about, you know, abuse or neglect or anything like that. But Carl did have quite delayed development. 
and he couldn't speak for a very long time okay um, <laughs> in my notes I put couldn't sleep for a very long time that's obviously a bit of a Freudian slip there but he couldn't speak for a very long time um and his parents actually thought that he might have been mute because he just didn't talk at all okay um but age six he started speaking but only a few words um and that never really changed he never really talked a lot throughout his whole life but when he did start talking he really struggled with pronunciations really kind of stretching out the sound so he spoke really really slowly okay and he also moved really slowly and kind of as little as possible so we just kind of just sat there not really talking not really moving um apparently if someone tried to shake his hand he kind of barely lifted his hand and it was just this like limp handshake hmm. going on i'm sure if um, you'd have been born much more recently he would have been diagnosed with something fairly early on. Maybe. We'll see as we okay. kind of get on with the story. <laughs> All right. Um, I think as was obviously quite typical in late 1800s Germany, he was obviously treated like an idiot at school, told he would never amount to anything. And when he started school, he was really punished. But over time, his, grade, his grades did improve and things got better. He didn't really have any friends. He never really played any games. He didn't be hated school. Um, and apparently his older brothers used to have to kind of carry him into classes because he would just used to like refuse to go in. And by his own admission, he never learned to read and write. And apparently he also used to wet his bed quite regularly, which is something that went on into adulthood. Not another one. <laughs> Not another bedwetter. <laughs> So when he left school, the research is funny, but I think he left school at age 12 <laughs> and he started working okay. for his dad. Is that when <laughs> he left elementary school? starting school, school at 12. Yeah. <laughs> um, it said that he left elementary school and never went back. So that would be, a, and then something else said he left at age 12. So that kind of all adds up, doesn't it, from being about 12-ish. So he started working for his dad um, yep. and he used to get really well with his brothers. But at this time, that broke down. He never wanted to go to any of the kind of social events in the village or to the taverns or anything like that. He just wanted to be on his own, just spend a lot of time on his own. And in kind of, you know, that sort of time in Germany, that was a bit weird because the whole thing was you worked really hard during the day and then you went out and you socialised at the taverns, even at his really young age. But he just wasn't interested. Um, as he got older, he continued this very solitary life. Um, and he actually ran away for nine months at one point. Okay. Um, just disappeared for nine months. Not a word from him. And then he came back after nine months. His family obviously thought he was dead, but he wasn't. And he came back and um, they learned that he'd been working in a quarry and on a building site and look after him, looking after himself, which is quite impressive for somebody who seemingly couldn't talk or move or do anything like that when they were quite young. So he was obviously able to look after himself. He never had any romantic relationships with women and um, he was actually somewhat of a misogynist and there's, there's no kind of evidence as to why. Okay. Me kind of putting two and two together <laughs> and thinking kind of what happens later on and, you know, the wetting the bed and what we know about serial killers, spoiler. Oh. I wonder if maybe there was some <laughs> sort of like weird relationship with his mum that caused him to maybe have some issues. I don't know. That's purely me speculating, but... yeah. No. So his dad he's, died. Sorry, go for it. I was going to say he's, he's ticking at least one, if maybe two, boxes in the triad. Yes, I don't know if they had any pets. That's not documented, but right. I'm pretty sure what he'd have done with them if he did. Um, so his father died when he was twenty-five, and all okay. accounts say that he really wasn't that bothered about it. 
Um, he showed no emotion at the funeral, which made me think, who's documenting how children react at their family's funeral mm-hmm. at this time? But anyway, um, his older brother inherited the childhood home um while carl received some money and with that he bought some land and he thought i'll try farming um it didn't work he didn't like it it wasn't very good at it we didn't make any money so he sold the land and he bought a house in nearby jembitza with the money however inflation forced him to sell this because at this sort of time which was like end of the 1800s in germany okay financially wasn't great and he well and into the early kind of 1900s he sold the flat, but he refused to leave it and refused to move out. So he oh. actually lived in like a little apartment in the house that he'd sold. Oh, which okay. Is a bit weird, but hey. He started volunteering as a crossbearer and organist at the local Lutheran church. So if he can play the organ now, he's clearly mm-hmm. got a lot better at what he was doing. Yeah. Um, and he generally became really well liked in his community and he was affectionately referred to as Papa. Um, throughout the community so Papa. Papa so he was still a bit of a loner but he was kind of part of the community as well okay so he evidently has learned to do these things he's caught up yeah he has after which is his, good that's his after kind of slow start. rough start yeah yeah okay he ran a nearby shop where he sold meat and belts shoelaces and other leather goods that he'd made from the animals that he'd butchered not wasting them um, and he also sometimes went door to door, as well as travelling to Breslau, which is now Wrocław, which we visited in the past, um, where he was licensed by the Butcher's Guild to sell his meat, especially his pork, in the big city markets. All of it was boneless, pickled and in jars, so he would just kind of go around and, and sell it. And he was specifically known to sell his jars labelled skinless pickled pork in Hala Tagova, and it was a time of crisis, and his goods were really popular, allowing him to maintain a decent enough living. Skinless pickled pork. Mm. Sounds okay. nice, isn't it? I might have an idea where this story's going. <laughs> now, this was a difficult time in Germany, the early 1900s. Inflation was high. Meat was very expensive. So it was always a bit of a mystery that he was able to access and sell so much meat. Um, his neighbours assumed that he killed dogs and sold their meat, as this wasn't illegal at the time. Um, and this would go some way to explaining the buckets of blood that are often seen in his garden and the unpleasant smells that accompanied it. So he lived a fairly quiet, normal life, running his shop, playing the organ, keeping himself in himself, butchering up this skinless pickle pork. That was until the 20th of December, 1924, when he was 64 years old at this point. Wow. Um, a homeless man named Vincenzo Olivier was found running out of his house, covered in blood, running out of Carl's house, covered in blood. He claimed that Carl had attempted to kill him with a pickaxe, slashing his scalp with it. And the police were obviously obliged to question Carl <laughs> because yeah. this man ran out of his house, covered in blood. And he explained that he had indeed attacked Olivier, accusing the homeless man of attempting to rob him after receiving a handout. So he you know, offered him some money and then he tried to steal some more of him. Okay. And although the police were like, yeah, that makes sense. We should take you down to the police station and just pop you in a holding cell just so we can ask you a few more questions just until the matter's resolved. Um, and as it transpired, Olivier was given medical treatment and then he was actually charged with vagrancy, which was a crime in Germany at the time, and had to spend 10 days in jail for it. Oh, 
so Carl was put into a holding cell um, where two days later he hanged himself on a pocket handkerchief that he had with him. Oh, yeah. Must have been a pretty big handkerchief. Um, and I was quite doubtful of this, but every single source that I've looked at has said that it was a handkerchief. So that he hanged himself with? That he hanged himself with a handkerchief. Could he have torn it into strips? Potentially. Tied them together and made a bit of a... I think it was about, I think it was more he kind of tied it to the wall and kind of like like fell forward on it sort of right, thing. Right, okay. Um either way, he was dead. Okay. Rather than being concerned or suspicious about the fact that he'd hanged himself, police were not alarmed by this and didn't really think anything of it, just like, oh, he obviously didn't like being in prison. Until they went to his house on Christmas Eve, nineteen twenty-four, to secure his belongings. Well, what they found was beyond their wildest dreams or nightmares. <laughs> dreams. <laughs> the first thing they found was boxes and boxes and boxes of salt. There were pots and bowls everywhere and huge amounts of pickled meat. Yeah. Now, it became apparent very quickly that this wasn't pork or beef, but it was human flesh that had been cut up. Nice. They found chunks of hairy chest, ribs, bellies with belly buttons, um, a whole bottom which had been cleaned up and prepared, ready to eat. Mm, that's a whole, been a rump. Mm, <laughs> a whole bucket of human lard and another bottom on the stove and apparently in a sort of Alfredo sauce, like a creamy garlic sauce. Mm. Um, they didn't find any heads or genitals anywhere, which is good. Um, but what they did go on to find is uh, 16 femurs, of which one pair of remarkably strong, 16 femurs, of which one pair were remarkably strong, two pairs were very thin, and six okay. pairs of two left femurs. So I think that looks, you know, maybe male, female, older, younger. Um, 15 medium sized pieces of long, long bones. Four long bones? That, yeah, <laughs> indescript. Long bones. <laughs> All right. Four pairs of elbow bones, um, seven heads of radi, which is the top part oh, yeah. of your arm, isn't it? Eight lower parts of the elbow, nine lower parts of radi, so it's kind of like wrist, isn't it? Um, a pair of upper shin bones, a pair of lower elbows and radi, of which the extremities still remained well connected. So I think it still had like the Ooh. hands attached to it. Yeah. Um, a pair of upper arms and a pair of upper arm heads, a pair of collarbones, two shoulder blades, eight heels and ankle bones, 120 toes and phalanx, 65 nice. feet and metacarpal bones. 65. <laughs> 65. Is that um, 65 feet or 65 bones? 65 feet. Wow. Five first ribs and 150 pieces of ribs and a total of 351 teeth which were stashed in various places around the house thought to belong to at least 25 people if not more with most of them belonging to men over the age of 40. Okay. They also found a ledger which had 31 names recorded in it including the weights before and after they were killed um, and after chopping them up and um, basic information about his victims, dates of birth of the men he'd killed, the details of the victims he'd pickled and which bits of them and how he'd done it. 
it's also proof that he could read and write now. Um, so yeah. <laughs> they found piles of clothes and rags that had been cleaned and folded up and then tied together with string. And that string was made of human skin. Okay. The same string that he'd used to make baskets that he'd sold in his shops, as well as the suspenders, like lederhosen brace suspenders, uh, braces, belts, laces, and other goods that he'd sold. So everything that he had been selling in his shops was human. human. Nice. The suspenders and belts still featured nipples on some of them. This was gross. Even bits of pubic hair and even genital lice still living in it. Oh dear. Hello. <laughs> Denker was actually wearing some of these lederhosen and style suspenders when he was arrested. Okay. Um, it is thought that in total there are around 42 people that he killed, um, with the majority of them being in those last three to four years before his arrest and suicide. Yeah. Um, a lot of them were homeless people or kind of travellers, beggars, that sort of thing. Vagrants. Um, vagrants. And because it was a crime at the time, there was a couple of people that I thought had got away, but they hadn't reported it because they would have been mm-hmm. arrested for great for vagrancy. So his first wow. known victim was a lady called Ida Launer in 1903. So he was okay. kind of 43 when he started doing it. So he was, you know, he was getting on a bit. And he yeah. started killing. He's been doing it for 20 years. Yeah. Um, six years later, in 1909, he killed 25-year-old Emma Sander. He worked in a local slaughterhouse. And actually, another slaughterhouse worker, Edward Troutman, was found guilty of her murder and spent 12 years in prison before he was released after the truth was discovered. Wow. And his last known victim was Rokus Pavlich, shortly before Vincenzo Olivier. So many of the people he killed are not known. And the police were yeah. still finding remains on his property, like in the pond, in the forest surrounding it, until the 1940s. Wow. So it took them a long time to pick it all up. So is this the house that he sold but was still living in an apartment I of? couldn't work that out. To me, it looks like it's a different house. Okay. I don't think it can be the same house, can it? I don't know. Um, but, yeah. I think yeah. it probably can't have been the same house because... Well, it might have been the same house, because I'm sure I read somewhere there was something about the neighbours complaining about shouting and screaming and banging and stuff like that. So maybe it was the same house. But surely the people who lived there would have noticed the smell <laughs> that was going on there. You'd have thought so, <laughs> yes, if, it was, if there were other people living in it as well. Wow, okay. So and then he had a shop and he, he used to sell it at markets as well. Yeah, and also travel around to sell his skinned pickled pork Mm, nice and there were some reports from the police saying that when they found some of the meat there and it all cut up they could tell from like how it started decomposing and stuff they'd been dead for a little while before he started chopping them up and pickling them so it's a miracle that people weren't getting really poorly (laughs) off eating all this decomposing human flesh rotten human past its sell by date yeah wow (laughs) But he made a decent living off it, didn't he? Uh, <laughs> a... Yeah. Did he ever butcher conventional animals? Do you know? No evidence to suggest that he did. No. Um, so but his whole got... butchering career was based on human. It sounds like it. Wow. Yeah. So some of the items that he used to kill and dismember his victims are now on display in like a museum in Zembitsa. But um, Carl and his victims are largely forgotten about today. 
they don't really kind of get talked about at all okay yeah um so that is the story of uh he's nicknamed the forgotten cannibal or the cannibal of Jembitsa. yeah wow what an amazing story isn't it yeah gruesome though really gross all the way through the first world war that would have been yeah Yeah. when you know especially in that sort of part of germany where meat would definitely have been a a premium yeah because they had an awful lot of problems around that time didn't they with as you mentioned earlier inflation yeah and things so uh yeah maybe he could have afforded a house after he yeah (laughs) made made all his money selling that meat Oh, and and the other products, the belts and the... um... Can you imagine, like, wearing something and then realising that it was made from a human? Or owning something and realising it was made from a human? Yeah. Grim. It is. Wow, what an incredible story. Yeah. So, there you go. I'd be interested uh... to see the pictures of his uh, tools of... And there are quite a lot of pictures of his tools, but there's (laughs) there's two known photos of him. One when he was alive and one when he was dead. So, oh, okay. Um, I guess you'd have said if there's any other motive behind what he was doing. Not that I could find any. It doesn't no. seem like any sort of kind of revenge on women necessarily. Like there wasn't there was no. a couple of them, but not a lot. Um, no lust for the act of killing or anything like that. Didn't seem like it. I think I wonder if it literally was him making a living. Mm. It's Sweeney Toddish, isn't it? Well, that's what I was thinking, actually. Yes. <laughs> Putting it into pies. Yeah, <laughs> but he was putting it into jars. He'd be better off putting it into pies, wouldn't he? It would be yeah. easier to disguise. Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> Stewed it with a bit of nice gravy and it'd have been easier, I think. Than, yeah. <laughs> mm. Okay. Uh, yeah, there you go. Wow, those poor people. Uh, I guess they wouldn't have been missed, would they? It's so often the case. Yeah. Especially in those days when records would have been sparse of people's lives yeah definitely no, no social media to keep a track of anybody no but i guess <laughs> the fact that he kept such good records of them would have made it easier to kind of track down their families afterwards maybe uh, that's true so he had their names he had their names um yeah. he for women he just kept their names but for men he kept like their names and their date of births and like a bit about them and stuff like that so which is weird that he only kept that information for men not women which I guess backs up that theory that he was a bit of a misogynist. Yeah, but... didn't really care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It was his next bit of money, wasn't it? So so that's the, uh, frankly, ridiculous story of Carl Denker. Oh, that's a great story. Yeah. A great story. So the museum that his uh, sort of artefacts are in, are they, is that in poland or in germany yeah so that is poland it's poland now that area right. so it's in Szembitza. okay so that's the story of karl denker wow yeah i'll, I'll look into him sounds like uh, an intriguing if somewhat grisly character mm. we like a grisly one don't we <laughs> <laughs> yeah Thanks to those of you who've got in touch um, about some merchandise. If you would like us to send you some, just drop us a message and we will uh, pop something in the post here. Yep, we will indeed. So, yeah, drop us a message on our Facebook page, which is... Forward slash Dad and Daughter Do Death. Or through Instagram. At Dad and Daughter Do Death. And you can always email us at... Dad and daughter do death at 
gmail.com. Yes, and when we hear from you, we'll we'll get you a little token of our weekly podcast. But no, great story. Thank you, Phoebe. You're Join welcome. us again next week when once again, Dad and daughter do death.